Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. All right, let's talk about credentials. Let's talk about the way in which we think about our identity and the information that is relative to us and the organizations that we are a part of that educate us and that are a part of our communities. We're going to be spending time with Nick Daze. He's the co-founder and CEO of Heirloom, which builds no-code tools allowing schools and employers to tokenize credentials on the blockchain. Before co-founding Heirloom, he co-founded Pocketlist and was an early team member at tech companies such as Faraday Future, Fullscreen, which was acquired by AT&T, and BitKitchen uh, as well. Nick, so nice to spend some time with you. Uh, in my prep, you know, you you know, you know your stuff, which, you know, I know that sounds kind of ridiculous to say on the front end, but in a world where I think there's so many confusing elements of blockchain and credentialing and we have sort of tiptoed our way over the last five to seven years in this space even when i reflect back on media pitches that i've gotten even in the education space or outside of that sector a lot of people trying to figure it out understanding that it's probably going to be here to stay but really in search of a subject matter expert and a group and an organization and a company or companies that can lead this you know uh, lead us into a, a place of protected identity you know, better processes um, and systems in place. And so talk with me a little bit before we dive into heirloom, talk with me sort of where we are when it comes to credentialing and how the arc of questions that you've gotten from the industry, meaning higher education, has potentially changed over time based on their growing knowledge base and skill set and developments on your side of the table. Um, thank you, Rod. I'm excited to chat with you. And I um, I think that's a fantastic question. I'll try to be brief, uh, but if you want to zoom in on anything, ask me a question because I am a talker. Um, so your question was, where are we with credentials? Um, in a nutshell, I would summarize the last uh, thousand years in the following way. <laughs> uh, we've gone from sheepskin or vellum credentials that last a really long time, if effectively preserved in an archive or a library. Um, and very, very few people as a percentage of the total population, and we're talking sub 1%, actually went to, let's say, a higher education institution in 12th century England, let's say. And fast forward, fast forward a few hundred years, and uh, let's say the modern system of higher education, kind of born in the late 19th century, really took off after World War II, where a lot more people, particularly in the United States, the GI Bill started going to college as a path to uh, a better kind of economic future. And in that world, um, you know, uh, as people entered the workforce with these new skills, credentialing became more important than ever. And we built a lot of uh, paper-based and manual human being administration systems to say that Rod went to school where he said he did and Nick went to school where he said he did. And um, about 25 years ago, this, this big old thing called the internet came along. And um, we were faced with a, a really interesting choice. And my background is as a user experience designer. Um, I have designed software my whole life. And there's this uh, really unfortunate but very pragmatic um, kind of Sophie's choice that every user of technology needs to face. Um, do I want the thing that is secure? Do I want the thing that's provable? Do I want the thing that's verifiable? If that's what I want, it's probably going to be kind of slow and a little bit labor intensive for me to comply. Or do I want the thing that's fast? 
Do I want the thing that's low friction? Do I want the thing that's instant? And many, many people choose the fast instant thing. So you might wonder why I'm bringing that up. Well, about 15 years ago on the internet, a thing called LinkedIn was founded, right? And today, most people do most of their diligence on that platform to say that Rod, when, if I'm looking to hire Rod, true. Yeah. what's Rod's background? I assume it's true. Um, and most of the time, it probably is. But if there's a problem or a misstatement or a mistake, I have to fall back to that age-old uh, conundrum, right? If I want to prove that Rod Rod went to school somewhere, I've got to call the registrar's office at his university. I got to pull a transcript. I got to talk to a human being. I've got to pay somewhere in the ballpark of fifty to hundred bucks. I got to wait for a fax or a, or an, at least an overnight uh, with FedEx, right? So in the age of digital systems, that's an eternity, right? Um, for me to get something, get some information, be proven true. And so no wonder people default to the fast thing, even if it's less uh, less reliable or less verifiable. So um, I'm a big believer in the power of blockchain technology. Most people listening to your show probably still associate that rightly with currency, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, my company is one of many where we think uh, blockchains are a powerful technology for a lot more than money. And what we're doing with blockchains is we are uh, using blockchains to establish a new type of digital identifier for you and for me and for our alma maters uh, that uh, that we own, we hold the keys to. No one can ever take them away from us. Not even heirloom can take them away from you. And uh, and then we facilitate the transfer of verifiable information between those parties. So we've gotten a lot of traction in higher ed. And for example, um, the University of Southern California here in Los Angeles is one of our first customers. And they're using our platform to say things like, Nick really has a bachelor's degree from USC, or Rod has a GPA of 4.0, or uh, Nick uh, uh, participated in an extracurricular activity or donated some money or is a, uh, a longtime uh, patron of the, uh, of the, of the uh, season tickets to the football team. So these pieces of information, some of which are academically very important, some of which are economically very important, they're really important to verify. And what we're able to offer our customers and our users is the best of both of those worlds, right? We're able to give them that instant verification. We can prove using math and cryptography and blockchains, we can prove that you have a degree from the school that you say you do uh, in about 300 milliseconds uh, in a very, very strong way. So you get that speed of interaction, but we also get that strong, that high bar of proof that you used to have to wait days and you used to have to pay money uh, to get access to. And we think that's a pretty powerful dichotomy. Let's talk about the relationship the general public has with this technology. Are we in a spot now where people have enough information to be able to sort of separate out from Bitcoin and crypto and these sorts of things and understand the value proposition of the technology going from a, this would be nice to have to, we need to have this. Help me understand where we are with regards to that filter if we put it on this topic. I think we're still really early days. And I see my job as a really important, like I, one of the most important things I do in my job is um, is visit you on the show, Rod, and, and try to get the message out there because these technologies are so powerful, but I really think we haven't had very good communicators in the industry up till now. And it's easy to misunderstand. It's Fairly complicated, um, but I'd like to try on you an explanation, and, and okay. I would love feedback if you have it. Um, 
you've used, I'm assuming you've used uh, Microsoft Excel, right? A spreadsheet app of some kind. Yeah, those that can't life. see me, I'm cringing. Excel is, yes, I have, but not with any great, great uh, talent or skill. <laughs> great. So many people are familiar with spreadsheets, right? And spreadsheets yeah. are just uh, really easy to use databases, right? And when people say, Nick, what, what is a blockchain exactly? When my, let's say my brother, who's a very smart guy, but he's like, Nick, what the, what the heck's a blockchain? I say, look, it's like a spreadsheet. Um, it's a really big one. Uh, everyone that wants to can see all the numbers that are in the spreadsheet. And uh, the difference between an actual Excel file and a blockchain is that the blockchain is a spreadsheet that's duplicated over and over and over again, millions of times around the world. And if there's ever an inconsistency, all those spreadsheets vote and they say which data value is the majority use case and they have the ability to correct the error. So blockchains are like big spreadsheets that are today pretty slow and they're a bit expensive, but they're like big spreadsheets that are really hard to mess up the data in them, either by accident or on purpose. And by accident would just be, I made a typo and on purpose would be, um, I got hacked, right? And that can kind of give you a picture of how uh, it's really powerful for currency, for money. Um, believe it or not, everyone's cryptocurrency wallets, even if it doesn't come with your name attached to it, it's got uh, a wallet address. And anyone that's got that wallet address can see what the balance in it is. But it makes it exceedingly difficult for someone to lie and say that they have more money than they do or to get into a double counting problem. And in our use case, uh, we use them for unique identifiers to, to, to tell the difference between Rod and Nick to tell them apart from one another in software. Um, and that's a pretty, pretty powerful uh, paradigm in my opinion. Uh, I also mentioned that they're slow and expensive. Uh, I think that's the biggest barrier to entry um, today, at least for technical people, but it serves its purpose for certain use cases. Like today, you would, not, you would never wanna go build Instagram on top of a blockchain. It would be really slow and really expensive. But for specific and valuable use cases, like proving you are who you say you are or paying for something online, it's great right now. And the last thing I'll say is, I also think like many things in technology, the speed and the cost will come down dramatically over time so that maybe by mid-century, by 2050, um, I think it's quite likely that most databases in the world will look a lot like blockchains. Is this a result of technology gone amok, of a global economy where we're so close and connected that we there's just there's so many data points that it's really hard to tell what is fact and versus fiction relative to an item a product a person um i'm not meaning it as a as a degrading of the technology at all i'm just saying as a state on our society as to where we are where we cannot our relationship with trust is eroded to the point where we need sure. to implement a technology that oh by the way we call it blockchain that in the next 25 years is probably going to be the you know, predominant way in which we interface and manage and store and utilize our data. Um, is, is, a, is this just a natural progression or is this really a result of where we are in our, our trust index? I do, um, I do think that you're onto something. I think that trust has degraded um, because the cost of producing information, real or otherwise, has dropped to virtually zero. And we've brought... I haven't looked at the latest numbers, but something like four or five billion of the world's citizens online. And that is a really important um, step in our civilizational uh, progress. 
but it comes with big downsides like you just identified and and we're all feeling i think a little sensitive about trust these days i'm going to have a bit of a contrarian view for you and but one that i feel pretty passionate about i think blockchains help a lot with this because even though social networking and email and mobile phones have driven the cost of producing and disseminating information driven that down to almost zero it's about to get a whole lot crazier with generative artificial intelligence and um, our ability to tell even the authorship, you know, it's important when Rod writes me an email that I know it's Rod and not a, a hacker in Macedonia. But uh, now I need to worry whether it's Rod, the hacker in Macedonia, or one of nearly infinity uh, synthetic intelligences on the internet. And I feel really passionately that blockchains, uh, and especially the area of blockchains that I'm working in, which is, it's called, there's a term for it, it's called self-sovereign identity that we have the ability and the and the and the possibility today for the first time of transparently labeling all that information with a signature that proves to the recipient or proves to the reader the origin of that piece of content whether whether that signature is rod's signature or i also believe that a lot of these big companies like openai are going to be hopefully forced by either market behavior or government regulation to also give their AIs decentralized identifiers on a blockchain so that when they produce a snippet of content, at least it's transparently labeled that I'm reading a block of text or I'm looking at an image that was generated by an AI model, or I'm looking at an image or, or a string of text that was generated by Rod or by Nick. And I think that transparency and that accountability and that auditability is going to be absolutely critical for us to navigate the information space that we're all um, entering into right now, uh, whether we like it or not. And I think I, I, I very personally highly value and prize transparency um, as, as just a moral value. And I think blockchains really help, help pave the way. I recently moderated a panel for um, local students with local uh, and very successful entrepreneurs around AI and entrepreneurship and sort of how they can maybe navigate and think about a path that hasn't been really carved out for them yet. Uh, yeah. Are we in your space? Are you finding that we are getting sort of the younger generations that are interested to the point where we're seeing this explosion of entrepreneurial ideas within blockchain, or is it relegated to a small subset of individuals that can manage the time, maybe the runway to even have an idea go from concept to market? Yeah, I, I do see a lot of excitement. Um, I get really optimistic about uh, the generation that's in school now or has recently graduated because their optimism and their passion with which they're pursuing these technologies, whether they're blockchain technologies, AI technologies or others, is really, really invigorating. Um, I also think that they just get these technologies right out the gate. Uh, in fact, we launched this program. As I mentioned earlier, we're doing a lot of work in higher ed and our customers are, are the institutions. Um, we had this hunch that kids or college students are, who aren't kids or adults, obviously, but uh, young people are um, just get this so quickly. We wanted to see what would happen if we just got it into their hands for free. So we launched this, this program called Heirloom Labs, and it gives any student group uh, complete and, and unrestricted access to our platform for free. We just want to see what they'll do with it. We want to see them hack around with our technologies. And since we launched that in uh, early September, it has been doubling about every 15 days in its usage. Oh, it's wow. astounding, the uptake. And do we know the ages? Of, like what how young are these students? 
Yeah, these are these are 18 year olds uh, to, let's say, maybe graduate students. So yeah. these are uh, business school students, computer science students, um, students that are interested in entrepreneurship or, or startups, and they're playing with these technologies. And that, yeah, the average, I'd say the 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 kind of uh, the, the fat middle part of that distribution is probably 18 to 24 years old. And just the enthusiasm and insight and excitement that they're kind of approaching these problems with and the ways that they're using our technology are teaching us so much. I mean, it's, I get so excited about it because even though they're not they're not paying us a red cent right now, um, they are teaching us far more than than the value we are giving away. Um, so I, I see it as a net gain for, gain for our company and our ability to just try to keep pace with their youthful energy is, I think, the path personally, I think the path to us doing bigger and more exciting things in the near future. Am I off the ranch and thinking that even 15 to 18 year old, like if you even go, I bet you they would be able to tackle it as well. I am just blown away when I talk with young people that are really from 13, maybe to 17. And you just think, my goodness. Yeah, I absolutely do. I think um, to be very specific, some of the reasons we've we've treaded lightly in the let's call it the high school cohort, which I am very excited about. Um, uh, there are some slightly different user data and um, kind of user agreement regulations around minors um, that we just haven't um, uh, we haven't prioritized that earlier cohort yet. So Heirloom Labs is restricted to users 18 and over um, so that we can comply with uh, COPPA, which is the, the yep. data regulation. But in around, due, but in due time, young right? People. Oh, and absolutely in due time. Um, look, I, I'm I am a techno optimist. I want to get technology into the hands of, in, in the hands of as many people as possible. And I think uh, we have a saying at our company um, that I feel really passionately about that uh, we haven't had our best idea yet. And I think that's an inherently optimistic thing. And I think the the broader the pool of brains, uh, particularly young energetic brains that kind of haven't been beaten down by experience and don't know the difference between a great idea and uh, and and maybe not a not so great idea. So they'll try it anyway, and they might surprise us all. It's I think it's it's some of the greatest energy that I get to interact with on a daily basis. Nick, you know, we, in the news, we see all of these sort of um, these conversations and discussions around AI slowly sort of taking away jobs that are currently in existence and that young people are are pursuing. If we take the blockchain and we start to speed up the 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 time to your point and and lower the costs and these sorts of and it becomes much more a part of our daily lives and the way in which we interface with our data and our personas et cetera et cetera do you envision that that will actually add to job to, to the job force as opposed to taking away it feels like that but i don't want to be ignorant in my my read of what you're telling me um i, I it feels like that to me as well i think at a very high level when it comes to technology um there's a difference between uh local maxima and global maxima and um and throughout history we need to be very careful of the disruptions that we cause these are real human beings that have real lives and and uh and fundamental dignity uh at least in my philosophy and so just cavalierly saying hey you million people you no longer have a job anymore is a very uh, wrong-headed and, and uh, unethical thing. Uh, in the long term, though, I think we can look at the arc of history, especially since the Industrial Revolution, and we can see that there are orders of magnitude more humans than there were, and there are or orders of magnitude more humans employed than there were, ever were, 
and there are orders of magnitude more humans that are employed that have more access to technology, quality of life, and wealth than ever before. And so I think that is uh, precisely because of technology, not not in spite of it. That even though um, uh, I'm kind of speaking glibly here, but even though 150 years ago you might be close friends with your friendly neighborhood cobbler. Um, the fact that today you can buy a great pair of shoes for a fraction of the price and your kids don't have to be shoeless and you can protect you protect your feet. Uh, and that might have come at the cost of the local neighborhood cobbler. I sincerely believe that over time that that people, uh, especially generationally, can um, take on completely new challenges uh, because of access to technology. And um, and it's a it is a absolutely a net gain for society. The, the devil's in the details and what we do to look out for our brothers and sisters that have um, that have disruption in their work life, have disruption of their income. And that's a very, very serious thing that can't be ignored. Um, but I am excited about these technologies and the opportunities that they open up for all of us. Let's learn a little bit more about you. I think it's very valuable for those listening of uh, the next generation and understanding how we get to where we've gotten. Are you, you know, listening to you, uh, I sense there's a bit of an explorer in you. I sense a historian in you, uh, and uh, an optimist, to your point, a techno-optimist. Where did this start? And it sort of paint the picture. What were you like in third grade? I mean, what were you doing that we could sort of look back and say, you know what, this makes perfect sense. We had no idea it would be something called blockchain, but we're not shocked that sort of Nick Daze is, he's about justice and fairness and transparency, and he's really found that path. Talk a little bit about the origins of you and the mindset that you bring to the table. You know, I, I've never been asked that question before, and I love the question. And I think I might have a perfect answer by accident because I was talking about this with my wife yesterday. Um, it's funny also <laughs> that you picked the third grade. In the third grade, um, I had one of the best teachers I've ever had, Mrs. Doherty. Um, she instilled in me a love of books and a love of poetry. Uh, but I think the uh, really important uh, point here is that in third grade, I was of the generation that... Um, I did not grow up with computers, uh, at least as an early, as a young child with computers ubiquitous. I mean, now my kids have, we have more computers than people in this house. Um, and I really wanted my first PC. And uh, my my mom dad said, you know, if you want this, you have to work for it. And so uh, I uh, negotiated a deal. Uh, my, my teacher, Mrs. Doherty had to sign off on it, but it was uh, actually my grandparents who were my first, let's call them, my first investors or my first sponsors or patrons. And they said, um, we will pay you a dollar for every book you read. And you can't, you know, it's got to be transparent. You got to have verification. Mrs. Doherty's got to <laughs> sign off of it, sign off on it and say you actually read the book. And I read um, 900 books over the course of about two years uh, and before my grandparents cried uncle and said, stop, stop, stop. Uh, and I earned enough money to go to, I think at the time it was Circuit City, which no longer exists, yeah. uh, and buy my first PC with my own money. And uh, that was a really proud moment. And it was from that moment on that I was uh, tinkering with technology, particularly uh, particularly computer technology, um, building computers, taking apart websites, looking at the code, figuring out how it all worked. It was just the intersection of information and uh, and content reading. I've, I've always been a passionate reader, obviously, the 900 books thing, um, the poetry thing from Mrs. Doherty. 
um, but also kind of a creative outlet um, to be uh, designing and building and failing and figuring out things that didn't work and then trying to diagnose why they didn't work. So uh, this is something that's on my mind a lot because I actually have um, a nine-year-old son right now. And I'm thinking a lot about that time in my own life and how to kind of keep the good parts and and then improve upon the parts that needed to be improved so that I can be a, a good dad. And um, that's my answer. Got me all wistful and <laughs> pensive here. So if we take the third grade you, but we apply that to say 2023 and you're, you're not who you are now, right? You're not a dad, you're not a business owner, um, but you're in a world where all of a sudden whether right or wrong, so sort of outside of the details, maybe more broad strokes here, that we're living in a world of AI where people are thinking, wow. And these are maybe, it's like soccer practice kind of parent conversation. AI sort of provides the answers. Well, if we've been in pursuit of answers our whole life, how does that change the way in which we might approach an idea, right? Yeah, I think AI is going to be great at giving us answers, but AI doesn't do a lick to tell us what questions to ask. And so I think what I'm what I'm trying to do with my own children and what if I were uh, on the sidelines of a soccer game, which I will be tomorrow uh, for my daughter's <laughs> soccer game. And this subject came up, I would say, look, uh, none of us know what the future is going to be like. In fact, it's changing faster than ever before. But I fundamentally believe that raising kids um, with respect to technology and just res with respect to life, raising kids that um, that are thoughtful, that are self-driven that know how to um, know how to not only self start, but also figure things out for themselves. Um, and, 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 and finding in them a deep, um, a deep passion that we can kind of identify and give them subtly give them the resources, but mostly just get out of their way to focus on um, learning. Uh, again, probably with AI in the loop now, but learning and growing and um, mastering skills or subjects, I think I think that's the way. Basically, raising kids that know what questions to ask and why to ask them, so that AI can help them find the answers, is is going to be um, the way to go. I think. Look, no matter what technology looks like, um, our economy and our society and our culture has always deeply valued problem solvers regardless of what technology is in front of them. And so, uh, yeah, how do we, I guess the question I ask myself and we should maybe all ask ourselves is how do we raise a generation of problem solvers? And I think we're doing an okay job. Before I let you go, you could, you're obviously, you're clearly a very intelligent uh, guy. You could have potentially chosen technologies that were further advanced and sort of aged on the vine where you could still make an impact and maybe have some influence. What is it about your constitution that pushed you to choose something that is just starting to your earlier point in our conversation? Because to me, that is, that is such a valuable component. It's like a, a strand of DNA that says, let's hone in on that, right? Regardless if it's blockchain or whatever it is, there's something about that, that like, that's what you want to extract and understand and teach to whether it's kids, community members, or school children is how do we understand that piece of it? Because as technology continues to iterate so fast, you kind of have to have people in your, I think your, your community that can slow things down a bit and understand that pace. And then the relative application to our lives within that context. I think, uh, the piece of me that has me, let's say at the frontier of technology is the piece of me 
Uh, if I were being self-critical, the piece of me that gets bored easily. But if I were being not self-critical, I would say the piece of me that um, gets such a dopamine rush from the act of discovery. And just that happens at such a higher rate than um, than going into a mature technology and figuring out how to improve it, you know, 1% a year. Um, and there's value to that. I don't mean to disparage that. But I think there's something about my the way I'm wired and a lot of the members of my team um, where we just say, look, it's so much more exciting and so much more uncertain uh, when we are kind of out at the edge and we don't know, uh, we don't know what the right answer is. Let's kind of, let's all get in the sandbox together and play so that we can try to find that answer together. And sometimes we don't find the answer and that's okay. Uh, but when we do, man, that is uh, one of the best feelings in the world is that feeling that you figured something out and you maybe you're not a super genius, but you're you're just because of where you're playing. You're maybe one of the first people in the world or you're among the first people in the world to even ask these questions, let alone plausibly answer these questions. And that's just very exciting and very creative um, and, and very empowering. Well, I've really learned a lot from this conversation. I can see why institutions of higher education and other sectors are coming to Heirloom because you're putting, I think, the human spirit of ingenuity and also that curiosity, the inquiry into what is next when it comes to the frontier of technology, how we understand ourselves in relation to that technology that is becoming more and more personified by our species. Uh, you're doing yeah. very, very well at communicating it, Nick. It was a great pleasure to spend some time with you. I want to encourage people to check out heirloom.io. Uh, Nick Daze, he's the co-founder and CEO of Heirloom. Uh, he's You'll see him all over the web and, and really giving a lot of great talks and getting the word out, uh, as he noted earlier, is such an important thing to do. Uh, once again, I'm Thank host. you. Rod, may I, I'm sorry, may I interject yes. really quickly? I want to, I want to plug Heirloom Labs, the free program for students, Got it. because yep. if you're a student listening to this, or you're the parent of a student or the teacher of a student, please go to heirloom.io, get in touch with us. We want to get this technology into your hands for free. And I'm, I'm sorry for that. I interrupted no, you. But you I know what? It was, no, that's it as a parent of a nine-year-old and an 11-year-old, uh, but obviously interfacing with a lot of folks in higher education uh, and students, I think it's incredibly important. So Heirloom Labs, and they can find that on heirloom.io? Exactly right. Okay, wonderful. Once again, I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.